Hey, happy Easter, everybody, and especially I want to say a happy Easter to our Hayward campus, their first Easter in their history. So glad that we get to celebrate the good news that Jesus Christ has risen. And friends, he's alive, and he's alive in this place, and, and I'm so happy that you have chosen to be with us as we wrap up our series called Famous Last Words. In fact, we have an outline for our message. It's found in your program. It's a light green sheet. All the verses from the Bible that we'll be looking at are printed there for you, and there's a place to take some notes if that is helpful for you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I consider famous last words, did you know that one time Jesus told us that our words are really just a reflection of what's in our heart? In fact, on top of your outline, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, he said, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. And friends, this is especially true when your life is on the line and you face the reality that this may be your last chance to communicate. When you know that this might be your last time to get your words out, you don't mince words. You, you say what matters most. I was thinking of this, and it reminded me of a time that I actually went skydiving with some of our young adults here at Crossroads. I don't know what I was thinking, but they said, hey, Pastor Paul, you want to go skydiving with us? And, and not to be chicken, I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And, and the day came, I didn't think about it a, a lot until we were actually driving out to Lodi. And I thought, what in the world did I sign up for? <laughs> uh, so we get there and we go into this place where you, you, you know, get all your equipment and you sign the, the waivers and the release forms. And I'm not kidding, on the waivers and printed in big letters on the wall is the saying, you may die. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, man, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I didn't want to scare my wife, so I just texted her. And I said, honey, kiss the kids and remember, I love you. <laughs> and she texted me back, are you drunk? No, no, I'm kidding. It was 7.30. No, I'm not. Okay. And then my instructor, so I, get, so I get all my equipment, I get the jumpsuit, the parachute, and then my instructor comes, and we're walking to the plane, and he says, oh, hey, before we go, do you have any questions? Do I have questions? <laughs> yes, my first question is, you're not depressed, are you? <laughs> I mean, you didn't just break up with your girlfriend, did you? Like, you really want to live, right? And so we had this conversation, we go up in the plane, and we're like sitting Indian style, like he's right behind me. And when it comes time to jump, we're at 12,000 feet. It comes time to jump. They throw open the door of the plane. And we have to waddle to the door of the plane. And the guy's right behind me. And the, it's loud. The propellers are going. And the guy yells. And I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. He yells in my ear. It's a great day to die. I saw, I'm not kidding, I thought, what, what? And he says, it's a great day to dive. And I yell, did you say die or dive? And he pushes me out of the airplane. So this is actually a picture of me skydiving. Now, don't be fooled by the happy face. Because I was just thankful that my last words were not did you say die or dive? 
Well, friends, Jesus said that our words reflect what's really in our hearts. What was in my heart was fear. But on this Easter weekend, do you know we have a chance to get a glimpse into the very heart of Jesus by looking at the seven things that Jesus said on the cross, his, his famous last words, if you will. And we've already co covered a couple of those things. So uh, in our message, we're going to look at the first four rather quickly, and then we're going to focus our attention on the last three things that Jesus said. And in doing this, we're going to get a picture into the very heart of the Son of God. Are you ready? Are you ready? So let's look on our outline, the seven the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And let me set the scene. The very first thing, after Jesus was betrayed by a friend, falsely accused, put through a mock trial, tortured and ridiculed and spit on and whipped until his back just laid open. Then they crucified him where there were nails driven through the innocent hands and feet of the Son of God. The very first thing out of his mouth, you see on your outline, Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Friends, do you see it? The perfect, sinless Son of God, at the same moment, he is being nailed to the cross. He's not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about his pain and problems. He's praying for forgiveness, and that prayer included me and you. First thing he said on the cross. The second thing Jesus said on the cross, from Matthew 27, 46, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Pastor Dwayne gave an awesome message on this pivotal moment in all of human history. Do you understand what happened on this moment? Because this was the very moment where God answered Jesus' prayer for forgiveness. Friends, this was the moment where God transferred the sins of the world, all the sins ever committed for all time, including your sins and mine, this is the very moment in history where God transferred our sins onto the sinless shoulders of Jesus Christ. And it was in that moment that Jesus felt the wrath of God, the, the total separation from his heavenly Father who could not allow sin in his presence. That's why he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then the third thing that Jesus said on the cross, you see it here in John 19, 26 and 27. Jesus looks down at the foot of the cross and he sees his beloved mother, his best friend John, and he says these words, Dear woman, here is your son. And son, here is your mother. Guys, do you see the heart of Jesus here? He's dying and yet he's making sure that his mother is taken care of, that she's not alone, that she has a family to look after her. And Jesus, you understand, he has the same heart for you. That's why he established the church and he called us to be a family together, a place where we look after and take care of one another. It's the third thing he said on the cross. And then the fourth thing, very profound, very simple. In John 19, 28, Jesus just said these words, I am thirsty. Friends, have you ever been at a point in your life where you were so thirsty, like you just couldn't seem to get enough liquid in you? You know, a few years ago, I was hiking uh, from Mission Peak. 
I hiked up Mission Peak and from Mission Peak over to Sonol, and then I came back. I was training for a longer hike. I was doing this 15-mile hike on a hot summer day. And at mile 12, I ran out of water. I thought, you know, okay, I'm, I'm in good shape, no big deal. I'm just three miles to go. But, and I didn't feel thirsty at the time. But when I finally got to the bottom, I started driving home. I could barely make it to the 7-Eleven. To the when I ran in there, I'm not kidding, I downed a big gulp right in the store. And that didn't even touch my thirst. Man, I just realized that I got dehydrated. I got, I got depleted. Now think of Jesus and all he endured on the cross. And here's the thing. Jesus was physically depleted. I mean, his life was draining away. But friends, you understand, it was deeper than that. He had the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. He was separated from the love of his father. And he was thirsty, not just physically, but spiritually. Do you understand that it's possible? It's possible for you to be sitting here today and you're spiritually depleted and you don't even know it. Maybe your soul is thirsty and you didn't even realize when you came in here today, you're, you're trying to fill that thirst with all these other things, but nothing satisfies. Do you know there's a verse in the Bible that talks about our spiritual thirst? King David wrote in Psalm 42.2, David writes, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? Friends, can I tell you, on this Easter weekend, I have some great news for you today. God has provided a way to quench that thirst in your soul. And we find that provision in the fifth, sixth, and seventh things Jesus said on the cross. So let's talk about them. The fifth thing that Jesus said on the cross, would you write this down? It was, it was the promise of paradise of paradise. Let me ask you, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word paradise? Most people think of a tropic island like Maui or, or you think of Tahiti or maybe going to Cancun. You know, there are three key definitions for the word paradise, and I hope you'll write these down if you're taking notes. The first one, definition of paradise, it's the place of perfect peace and happiness. Paradise is the place of perfect peace and happiness. Did you know also, secondly in our outline, write this down, the very first time paradise was ever mentioned in the Bible, it was referring to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve lived in this perfect place with perfect unity with God and each other, and there was no sin. And friends, you understand, when sin entered the picture, Man, it messed up everything, and that's where you get the phrase, paradise lost. And then finally, the third way, the, the definition of the word paradise in the Bible, it's simply used to, to describe this place called heaven. Heaven. And friends, one thing that I know about you, as you sit here this very night, there's a longing in your soul for this place called paradise. Back in Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, it says, God has planted eternity in the human heart. Do you understand that deep inside your heart, like you are hardwired for this, deep in your heart, whether you recognize it or not, there's this thirst, this, this sense that there's got to be something more 
There's got to be something more than just being born, going to school, getting a job, getting a wife, getting a family, getting more stuff, getting old, and then dying. Friends, you know there's got to be something more. We have this built-in spiritual longing given to us by God himself for eternity, for paradise, a place of perfect peace and happiness and wholeness where there's no sin, no separation, where we have this eternal connection with God and with each other, this place called paradise. When was the last time you felt a longing for paradise? Do you long for it? Do you dream about it? I don't know about you, but whenever my life is a mess and I get under stress, I have this longing for paradise. There's this part of me that wants to get away from all the pressures and problems of life, and I want to go to this perfect, peaceful place called paradise. In fact, I did. Just last month, we took a family vacation. We went to the premier paradise place called Hawaii. And friends, can I tell you, man, it was, it was awesome. In fact, this picture, I took this picture myself. Pretty good, right? This is Makaha Beach, the little silhouette. That's my son, Tim, right there. We were in paradise, and don't hear me wrong. We had an amazing time swimming in the ocean, hiking to beautiful waterfalls, watching amazing sunsets. But this place, this place that we hoped would be perfect, and peaceful and happy, there were times where it actually became stressful and painful and expensive. <laughs> like when we got our rental car towed because we were 15 minutes late, and $175 later, they graciously gave us the rental car back. That's not paradise. And like when we're on the beach and we're out in this hot sun, and my son starts to get heat sickness and He's sick, and we have to get out of this heat as quickly as possible. We're grabbing our stuff, and my, my prescription eyeglasses fall out of one of the, the holders, and we lose my, my, my reading glasses. That's another 175 bucks. That is not paradise. <laughs> and then on top of that, we're there, we're there, and along the way, my wife throws her back out. So we get to look at paradise through the windows of our condo, because she could barely move because she was in excruciating pain. Now, friends, listen to me. I tell you that story because we desperately long for paradise, this place of perfect peace and happiness, but try as we may. We couldn't make it happen on our own. We could not produce paradise in our own power, and friends, neither can you. Oh, we can get glimpses of it. We can go to beautiful places and take great vacations, but we can't provide lasting paradise in our own power, and that's where Easter comes in. This is so cool. Check this out. See, Easter is all about God's promise of paradise. In fact, when you look at the famous last words of Jesus in Luke 23 on your outline, verses 39 through 43, let's walk this through together. Jesus has just been crucified between two thieves, and it starts out, one of the criminals hanging behind, beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and, and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God 
even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, here's the promise, I assure you, today you will what? Be with me in paradise. Would you underline the phrase, be with me in paradise? I mean, this shocking promise of paradise, let's be clear, it wasn't based on the thief's good deeds or his moral behavior or some warm, fuzzy belief that, yeah, I believe in God, I'm a good person. This thief was a sinner, and he knew it. He was out of hope, out of luck, out of chances, yet because of one simple act of faith and trust in Christ as King and Savior and Lord. Jesus said, today, I promise you're going to be with me in paradise. And friends, listen to me. On that day, 2,000 years ago, Jesus made paradise possible for the thief on the cross. And he does that for you, for me, and for Ron Weissenberger. Do you know I met Ron Weissenberger just, just over a couple weeks ago. He was on his deathbed. He was in hospice care, and I was asked by his daughter, Linda, who's a committed Christian. Linda called the church and said, Pastor Paul, can, can you come talk to my dad? And I went over to see him, and, and before I went into his bedroom, she said, you know what, my dad, he's a good man. Man, he's been a great husband, great father. Man, and, and he has a simple faith in God. But, but my dad, he grew up in a Catholic school where the nuns would beat him on the hand with rulers, and it left such a, a bad taste in his mouth that he just never really connected with church. And so I went in and, uh, to see this man, six-foot man, and in his prime, man, he was like 220 pounds, vibrant, uh, big-set man. But when I saw him, he's in this bed, weighed less than 80 pounds. Friends, his body was shutting down. He'd stopped eating. He couldn't talk. But he was lucid enough to nod yes or no. He was dying, and he knew it. And so I went in there, and I met him. I said, hey, Ron, my name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors in the community. And I want to tell you, you don't have to be afraid. Ron, do you know you are so loved? You're loved by your, your children. You're loved by your family. And you are loved by God. Ron, do you know right now God loves you so much that he gave his only son that if you would believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have paradise, heaven forever. And at the end of our conversation, I, we were able to communicate. And I said, Ron, would you like to pray and put your faith and trust in Christ? Just nodded, nodded. So we prayed together, and friends, it was a moment like the thief on the cross. The truth is, Ron couldn't do anything for Jesus. Ron couldn't offer anything to Jesus. The only thing Ron could do was to say yes. I put my faith and trust in Christ and his promise of paradise. I want you to understand this loud and clear. Do you know the promise of paradise is not based on your goodness, but on God's grace. 
Let me say that again. The promise of paradise is not based on our goodness, but on God's grace. And if you have confusion about what grace really means, here's the best definition you'll ever get. Write this down. Grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Friends, I want to tell you that we can have confidence that Jesus kept that promise to the thief on the cross and to Ron Weisenberger, and he'll do that for you. And here's how we could know, it, know that it's true. See, the Easter story does not end with a death on, on the cross. It ends with the resurrection. That's why in your outline, Matthew 28, 5, where the angel said to the women who came to the tomb, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Friends, Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And friends, that, that resurrection is backed up by the evidence. The evidence of the empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, the changed lives of the disciples and changed lives all throughout history, including mine. Jesus saved me by his grace, gave me the promise of paradise. And friends, this is what I know. Check out your outline. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And here's the promise of paradise. And he will raise us also. The Fifth thing Jesus said on the cross was the promise of paradise. The sixth thing Jesus said is found in John 19.30. When Jesus cried out these three words, would you write it, write it down? He said, it is finished. It is finished. Now, the Greek word for finished is such an amazing word. It's the Greek word tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is finished. Finished. Finished, it means to complete a project. Or if you're taking notes, write this down. It's a better definition. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Now, many of you here today, you know that recently I ran a, a Spartan race. Now, if you don't know what a Spartan race is, a Spartan race is where you actually pay money to experience pain. <laughs> you actually register. You pay money. You train. And on race day... You, it's not just a running race. I mean, you go through mud pits. You climb cargo nets. You go under bob wire. Man, you carry a 75-pound sandbag on your shoulders uphill both ways, <laughs> right? The Spartan race. And, and at the end of the race, here's the cool thing. Right at the finish line, there's this big mud pit filled with water. And right in the middle, there's this wall. And to finish the race, you have to go down in the mud pit you have to go under the water and come up on the other side. And then you cross the finish line. Well, well friends, can I? Uh, uh, we didn't have fire at ours, but I, I'll tell you this. When I came to the finish line, I was so glad that I didn't quit when it got hard and painful. I couldn't help it. The words just came out. It was like across the finish line, I was, yes! And, and, and when I finished, friends, I brought this with me because I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. <laughs> they gave me this, this finisher's medal. 
And then the, the lady hanging out, handing out the medals, she wasn't ready for this. I was just so happy. I'm covered head to toe in filthy, dirty mud. I was just, oh, thank you. And I, she got muddy too. I so, man, I did this. I finished, and they gave me this medal. Well, when Jesus finished, I mean, his words on the cross, tell Telestai. But friends, he didn't do it to win a medal. He did it to win you. He did it to win your life. He, he actually volunteered for this mission. He actually signed up. He actually endured the pain. He didn't quit when it got hard. And he did it. Mission accomplished. He did it to save your soul and bring you the gift of paradise. Secondly, on your outline, would you write this down? This word, teltelestai, also means to discharge a debt. A better way of saying that is the phrase, paid in full. It's actually a legal phrase that if you had a bill to pay, if you had a legal document, if you owed money, once you paid off the bill, they would stamp on the bottom of the document, teltelestai, paid in full. Now, I want you to think of it this way. Perhaps some of you can relate to what it feels like to live with worry and stress over bills and financial pressures, where you're wondering, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent this month or pay my mortgage or make my PG&E or car pay. I'm living with fear, like wondering I can lose my house or my car or my I can shut my power off. Can I tell you, I've experienced firsthand what it's like to stress over a bill, worrying, how am I going to pay this bill that I owe? But can I also tell you, I know firsthand that I have never worried about a bill once it's been paid. Can I tell you that? Once I know the money's gone through and the bill, I've never stressed or worried over a paid bill. I don't feel worry or fear. I feel peace and confidence where I can focus my energy and get onto other things and get on with my life. Do you know that's what your heavenly father wants for you? When Jesus cried out, tell Telestai. And he, was, he wasn't paying his debt because he had never sinned. He was paying your sin debt. And when he said that, he was saying, paid in full. You don't have to live with fear or worry or condemnation. This is so amazing to me. Do you know history tells us the very moment Jesus yelled, it is finished, there was a veil in the temple. This Jewish religious temple, there is a place where they separate, where they're called the Holy of Holies, where it was like God's palace, God's presence. God, this is where God dwelled. And in front of the Holy of Holies, they had this curtain, this veil. It's like God's on one side, the people on the other side, and because God is so holy, no one could come in his presence. The Bible says at the very moment that Jesus yelled out, it is finished, a miracle happened. This veil, this curtain, this separation, from the top down, the Bible says the curtain was torn in two. It was as, as if the hands of God reached down, and when Jesus had paid in full, it's like Jesus took your bill. Paid in full. Don't have to live in fear, stress, or worry. This is what you live with. You live with the confidence 
of knowing this. Check out what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 in your outline. It says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence because of what Jesus did for us so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we, don't have, we can come with confidence knowing that God loves us and he's going to help us in our lives and our time of need. And then number seven on your outline, do you know the last thing Jesus said on the cross? Write this down. Jesus gave a personal pledge of faith when he said these words, I commit, I commit. Luke 23, 46 on your outline tells us the last words to leave his lips were these, Father, into your hands, what? I commit, I commit my spirit. One of the things I love about Jesus is Jesus never asked us to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. He always went first. And so I, I want you to ca capture it this way. Jesus said, I commit. He led the way, and then he asked us to do the same when he says, come, follow me. In his darkest, most challenging, most painful time of pain and suffering, Jesus put his faith and trust in the goodness of his heavenly Father, and he said, into your hands, I commit. And then he asked us to do the same. You know, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible is when Lazarus, he's died, his sisters Mary and Martha, they're heartbroken, and they come to Jesus, and Jesus says these words to Mary. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five 25, and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Friends, underline this question. Do you believe this? What a personal question he asked Mary, but that question's not just for Mary. That question is for you and for me. See, on this Easter 2017, you're going to have to make a decision, a choice about who Jesus Christ really is. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you'll put your faith and trust in me as a resurrected son of God, if you will commit to follow me as your king and God, Jesus said, I'll forgive your sins. Come live in your life. I'll give you my spirit to give you strength for this life, prepare you for the next, and I will give you the gift of paradise, heaven forever. Do you know my amazing wife, Karen, she's not only... A, one of our pastors here, but she works for an international organization where they bring in students over from China, from the best universities. And these students come over for a two-week sociological research project, and while they're here, Karen sets up homes for them to stay in and trips for them to take. And man, we take these students to awesome places. Take them to San Francisco, Cal Berkeley, Stanford, Crossroads Church. We just, we take them to all the best places. And along the way, they learn about life in America, but we also want to expose them and share with them because almost every single one has never been in church and has never heard the message of Jesus. Well, one day we took them to uh, Santa Cruz 
And we're standing there at Santa Cruz, and they have this place near uh, the boardwalk where they have this big surfing statue. And we took their picture, and right across the street was this church that had this huge mural. And we walked over there, and my brother and I said, students, I want to tell you something. This mural gives us the simplest explanation about what it means to be a Christian. And the mural is just this picture that you see behind me, the picture of Jesus Christ that says, Jesus, I trust in you. See, being a Christian is simply saying, Jesus, after all you did for me by dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead, I trust you with my heart, my life, my problems, my future. Jesus, into your hands, I commit. Now, Jesus said these words, he breathed his last, he died, and then something miraculous happened. One of the centurions who participated in killing Jesus, I mean, he saw the whole thing. And after seeing Jesus with his own eyes and hearing these seven things that Jesus said on the cross, here was his response. Do you see it? Mark 15, 37 through 39, when the Roman officer who stood facing him, saw that how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. He made his declaration. Well, friends, what about you? I want to give you a chance right now as we pray together for you to make your personal declaration. Would you bow with me in prayer? I want you to think again about the seven things Jesus said on the cross. Not only did he show us his heart, friends, he gave you his heart. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're finally going, man, I get it now. Jesus sacrificed his life so I could be forgiven. Like he took my sins on his shoulders so that I could be saved. On this weekend, do you want to take Jesus up on his promise for paradise? If you would say, man, Paul, no kidding around, no just going through motions. Or, I mean, I really want to say I commit to Jesus Christ. I want you to pray for me. I want to take him up on his promise for paradise. And I want to, because he gave me his heart, I want to ask him to come into my heart. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you right I want to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand right now? Would you say, yes, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you. God sees you. He hears your heart. He's working in your life right now. Don't let this day go by. Anyone else? Here's what I want you to pray right now. To just say, Jesus, I give you my heart because you did more than just die for me. I believe you resurrected from the dead and that you're the son of God. I trust you with my life, with my heart, and now into your nail-scarred hands, I commit myself to love and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.